The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of the Veritas Show, where we bring you disclosure, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for tuning in once again. This is episode number 31. By the way, I still love to say I don't want to believe, I want to know. That's the whole purpose of this show. However, in case you didn't know, that quote is from Carl Sagan. So a few days ago, I started thinking of a new quote that would be original to this show. First, it was Disclosure One Show at a Time, but then I went to some of my friends, including Stephen Bassett, and presented Disclosure One Guest at a Time, and they really liked it. Steve says it puts the emphasis on the people doing the work, and our show is as good as the guests we have. So now the pressure is on. Disclosure One Guest at a Time. Tonight's special guest is Joanne Richards, the secret military space program. Wait until you hear what she has to say. This is one of those shows to be really skeptical, but with an open mind. Next week's special guest is G. Edward Griffin, the creature from Jekyll Island, a second look at the Federal Reserve. The Veritas show is syndicated by the following affiliates, K-Rock's Zero Point Radio, the Black Vault Radio Network, and the Paranormal Radio Network, UPRN 105.8 FM, New Orleans. 
If you need to get in touch with me, send an email to mel, that's M-E-L, at veritasshow.com or head on to our website and click on the contact button. And don't forget to stop at the Manticore forum where you can send questions to our future guests and discuss many topics with members around the world. And speaking of the Manticore, a few days ago, a number of people joined and if you haven't stopped by the Manticore, take a look at what they're saying. And for some reason in the last few days, a lot of our members emailed me saying that they were being blocked. People from many countries, uh, people from United Arab Emirates, Denmark, Greece, uh, Australia, the United Kingdom, and many other countries. And the interesting thing was that they were able to log into Veritas, but not to Manticore. And we wonder if there's a correlation there. So take a look. I believe we have our own version of this closure taking place at the Manticore. Uh, you can join. In order for you to read, you have to uh, become a, a registered at the Manticore. But if you want to post and download the material, you have to become a Veritas subscriber. That's another benefit that you get. And here's a preview of our upcoming show with G. Edward Griffin, the creature of Jekyll Island, a second look at the Federal Reserve. But we're dealing with what I proposed in my book was a corruption of what the monetary system should be. I, I, I looked at it as, as a huge mistake. I looked at it as a, a repeat of history, which has always uh, resulted in disaster in the past. And so when you take that point of view, you cannot help but project into the future and uh, a lot of my, uh, uh, the import of what I was trying to say in the book was that, look, uh, everybody, if we don't turn this trend around, we're going to wind up the same way all other nations have ended up who have followed this course of uh, debauching their currency, creating money out of nothing, uh, living on debt instead of production and all of those things. I honestly feel as if I'm talking with Ron Paul. Well, uh, certainly Ron Paul and I see eye to eye on the uh, basic uh, principles of the monetary system, no question. Now, Congressman Ron Paul has sponsored the Audit the Fed bill, and as of today, he has collected 250 signatures from co-sponsors. However, I just heard the Senate has blocked it. Those who are blocking it, isn't it proof that we have the best politicians that money can buy? I think that's certainly uh, conclusive evidence. Uh, who would want to block any bill to audit the Fed? Uh, we think we should abolish the Fed because of what we already know about it. We know that it's creating money out of nothing. We know it's pushing the, the value of the American dollar down, down, and down. We know it's redistributing the wealth from the middle class to those in the politically favored class. We know all of those things without an audit. And of course, uh, Chairman Bernanke said that this bill would make would uh, mean a takeover by Congress and threaten the financial system, dollar, and economy. So let me get this straight. The Fed prints trillions of dollars out of thin air, artificially lowers interest rates to increase poor and malinvestment of capital, and gives Americans the rope of cheap credit to hand themselves with. So who exactly is the threat to financial stability, and who is the one that has taken us over since 1913? Well, that's a very good question, Mel. It, just to ask the question is to answer it, that Bernanke is, uh, is uh, resorting to rhetoric, and there's no substance to what he's saying, unless what he's saying is that he doesn't want Congress or anybody else, the public, to be thinking about what they're doing. Isn't it interesting? A few weeks ago, I saw somebody taking video 
in front of the Federal Reserve, uh, Reserve Building. And all of a sudden, a guard comes out and says, Sir, I'm sorry, but it's prohibited to take video in front of federal buildings. That is not a federal building, is it? No, it's not. It's not a federal building. And this is such a crucial invisible tax that so many people don't understand. I go to social gatherings all the time and people say, well, taxes are not that high in the United States. But when you see that inflation just erodes your savings, your earnings, then people get it. Yeah, they have to really think about it. They don't realize that it takes a dollar today. Uh, well, I shouldn't call it a dollar. It takes one Federal Reserve note, they call it there a you dollar, go. Uh, to purchase what could have been purchased for three cents back in 1913. In other words, 97% of our money, our savings, everything invested in, denominated in terms of dollars, 97% of that has been stolen from the American people, and they don't even know it. Wasn't it ironic to see President George W. Bush speak in front of the Israeli Knesset when his own grandfather, Prescott Bush, funded Hitler and the Nazi machine for almost 20 years? Here's a prime example of someone dealing with both sides of war. Well, yes, certainly. And, uh, of course, I don't think we should uh, we should blame uh, George Bush for his grandfather. But nevertheless, it is ironic. Uh, certainly, uh, Bush Jr. has never repudiated his grandfather's uh, work. So I guess we have to assume that he he's quite proud of it. I had a guest a few weeks ago who said that the devil has higher approval rating than our Congress. The devil? Well, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> when you wrote your book, our deficits were high, but I bet you may not have speculated they would be as high as they are today. I always say that slavery was not really abolished. It was transformed into the nine-to-five matrix. With the never-ending deficits, how can we really go back to sound fiscal monetary policy short of abolishing the Federal Reserve? No, we must abolish the Federal Reserve. That uh, has to be done if we're ever going to get back to fiscal monetary policy. And it's been a long time since I read you some headlines from our blog. This one comes from our friends Carrie Cassidy and Bill Ryan from Project Camelot. Mandatory H1N1 vaccinations declared in Norway. Stay strong and resist the upcoming mandatory swine flu shot. It is more dangerous for your health than the current virus, and it has not been tested. News reports shot ready around November 09. Will we see Norway's first civil war in almost 60 years? Pretty scary. And if this goes to Norway, you know that the rest of the world will follow. And more about Norway. Norway to raise toxic Nazi submarine wreck. UFO captured on Soho coincides with crop circle prediction. And this one you have to check out. Website recreates Apollo 11 mission in real time. You have to go to the blog, VeritasShow.com, and click on the blog. And click on there, on that website, and you'll see, real time, a recreation of exactly minute by minute how the Apollo mission happened. And I'll read you a little bit more of this one. Families crowded around black and white television sets in 1969 to watch Neil Armstrong take man's first steps on the moon. Now, they'll be able to watch the Apollo 11 mission recreated in real time on the web, follow Twitter feeds of transmissions between mission control and the spacecraft, 
and even get an email alert when the lunar module touches down. Those features are part of a new website from the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum commemorating the moon mission and Kennedy's push to land Americans there first. Quote, putting a man on the moon really did unite the globe, unquote, said Thomas Putnam, director of the JFK Library. Quote, we hope to use the internet to do the same thing, unquote. The website, wechoosethemoon.org, again, wechoosethemoon.org, goes live at 8.02 a.m. Thursday, 90 minutes before the 40th anniversary of the Apollo 11 launch from Cape Canaveral, Florida. It will track the capsule's route from the Earth to the Moon, ending with the Moon landing and Armstrong's walk in real time, but 40 years later. For more current headlines or more information on the topics you heard, again, go to the website veritasshow.com and click on the blog. And now, get ready for a fascinating show which will take you to a new reality if you want to know what really happens above in our skies, on the moon, and below us. Don't go anywhere. This is Mel Famergus, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Joanne Richards is the executive director of educational nonprofit Earth Defense Headquarters. Her husband, Mark Richards, and his father, Ellis Lloyd Richards, were involved with top-level military intelligence operations since World War II. Many of these operations included on-world and off-world contact and battles with various alien species. Mark's family history includes some very interesting bloodlines and personal connections. Both of his grandfathers worked with Nikola Tesla. Grandfather Richards worked on the Manhattan Project. Mark's father spent summers with Tesla, Goddard, and Hubble. Both he and Mark were involved with top-secret activities since they were teenagers. It runs in the family. Joanne speaks about her knowledge of a few military operations and meetings that these men were involved with. In 1984, Mark was falsely convicted of a murder and has been incarcerated ever since. The family now believes it was to keep him quiet about what he knows and to keep him from fighting the New World Order. Hello, Joanne, and welcome to the Veritas Show. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure having you. First, my apologies. I kept referring to you as Joanne Sanders. I I have no idea why. I don't either. It's not even my maiden name. Well, in any event, as as many of the guests we have uh, had so far on this show, many of the listeners are the ones who point me to all of you. And what sold me in wanting to invite you 
was the recent interview you conducted with uh, Kevin Smith in Sedona, Arizona. Let's start from the beginning so that we can put things in perspective. Your okay. husband, Mark Richards, is uh, currently in prison. Yes, he is. Uh, set the stage for us on how you met Mark and how you get to learn what you're going to share with us tonight. Okay. Let's see. I met Mark in September of 1997, and we started writing for a couple months, and then I um, started visiting him, and we've been married. It'll be seven years later this month. And uh, he's just, he's a great guy. He's highly educated. He comes from a great family. He's brilliant, and he's had lots of experiences in uh, many fields. So we have a, a lot to talk about, and then I started doing research for him, and then he started telling me about what he used to do with the military, and then I started uh, exhibiting and going to different UFO and conspiracy conferences and, and sharing the information that I have. And and so now I've spoken at a couple of conferences, and I have booths at more local conferences, and I've been doing some radio and TV interviews, and there we are. When did he start telling you? all the stuff you're going to be sharing with us tonight. I probably knew him for, you know, I probably knew him for several years or a few years before I actually really knew uh, what he used to do. I mean, I knew he'd been in the military. I knew he had been a filmmaker. I knew, I knew he was a writer. I knew he'd had a construction business. He's had several businesses um, basically as covers, even though he's good at all of these different things. But So he's done a lot of things, um, and then he had me doing research, but I wasn't really sure what for, and then I had all these, you know, I, I, he gave me different reports that I, could, that I could sell through a publishing company I had, and then, you know, it became more apparent that there was more to his military service than just being in the Army and flying helicopters. And so finally, he just started, you know, telling me a little bit by little bit, and, you know, I think more it was... Oh, you know, why don't you go check out this aircraft carrier because I hear there were ghosts on it. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then it turns out later it's an aircraft carrier where he and his dad were fighting aliens on. And then, oh, you know, why don't you go to this UFO conference? You might find it interesting. It's like, well, okay. And by then I'd kind of known he'd been involved with a few things but hadn't really paid attention to it and didn't, you know, wasn't really didn't really care about the UFO scene, per se. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And got to know some of the people there, and and most people weren't really talking about military stuff. And he had told me a few things by then, so we're talking like the early, you know, just a few years ago. This is 2009. So I think um, probably 2004 is when I went to my first UFO conference. Mm -hmm. So it's only been a few years, and I haven't followed all these different wonderful people that know a lot more than I do, or a lot of different things than I do. So it's it's all relatively new to me, and I focus mostly on the military stuff, but it's all become very fascinating and very believable to me, and it's like, wow, the whole new... We've had a, we've had a few people, and yeah. you probably know some of the names. We've had uh, John Lear, Sergeant Clifford Stone. Uh, John Lear especially, he talks about the Secret Space Program. Other right. guests also talk about that, and I think we're going to be talking about this because when people say secret space program they really don't grasp to what extent 
and to, to how long we've had that going. But there are many things that Mark hasn't been able to share with you because of his secrecy oath. Right. However, he was involved in several missions with an international security agency called International Security, right. which his father headed from the mid-60s all the way through the mid-90s before he right. died. Let, let's start in chronological order. July okay. 1970. There was a conference in the San Francisco Bay Area in California where between humans and non-humans. This is during the President Nixon's administration. Take us from there. Okay, and, and it actually starts way before that, but that's the first thing I really know about. I mean, I know stuff he, he learned about as a kid, but, um, and he had... Then start from there. Start from there when he was a kid. That Okay, well, I know, you know, his dad was career Air Force before he ever took over the international security and his dad um, was a jet fighter pilot in World War II. And then right out of World War II, he basically, you know, they drafted him to be a military intelligence officer. And he was involved with all kinds of UFO investigations and UFO confrontations, wherever there was like a hotbed of activity, his dad would go. And then when Mark was little, his or like two or three, they were stationed at Wright-Patterson. And I'm sure, you know, his dad would take him underground. And I know he saw stuff. And he didn't really know what he was seeing, but he just, I know he saw weird stuff because he wrote little stories about it. And then when they, when he was about seven, they moved to England. And he would tag along with his dad to different meetings and different bases. And uh, one time he was at, I don't know, one of the bases or one of the secret places. And, you know, he was playing in one of the, 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 oh, the, the room that had the code machines. And, um, his dad, you know, found out that he was in there and he was playing around and he kind of got in trouble. And, um, Mark was, and this was like 1960 or 62. And he was going, but dad, they were talking about, um, men on the moon and Mars. Hmm. And his dad goes, oh, yeah, well, you just pretend you didn't hear that and don't tell anybody you were in here. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh, okay, you heard this when you were a little kid. That Okay. And then when he was about nine or so, he's, or maybe a little younger, he'd snuck off. He snuck along to one of these secret meetings that his dad was going to and all these other big shots. And this was in England. And, you know, he's hiding in one of the rooms, and he can feel this very different presence and it turns out to be a reptilian that has had become friends with his dad since the early 50s and had later you know was friends with Mark and has worked with him on several missions and then he's he sees this hooded thing walking out to the tent and the airman's he's going well, what is that and the airman's going oh you know you can't don't ask but i mean his spaceship was like parked under this tent and this was a meeting of military people and, you know, it's like, so he has seen things, you know, since he was a young boy, and then it was kind of natural for him to follow into working with his dad. And in high school, he was, like, doing projects for Lockheed and Skunk Works and things. He's helped design um, submarines and, and various, you know, things. He's just really brilliant. And then he was working with the Navy when he was in high school, and he went into the Army right out of high school, and then, like, after the Army and graduating from college, he uh, started doing more of the top-secret stuff. So, you know, that was mid-'70s. But to start with, to go back to your question, in, in uh, July of 1970, 
he was still in high school uh, doing a project for Lockheed, and there was a conference just probably 15 minutes south of where I live here in the San Francisco area at a Fort Baker. And it was, you know, we, we had gone to the moon, you know, the year before. Aliens were not happy with us for going to the moon. They didn't really want us out in space because, you know, they were doing stuff out in space and they didn't want us uh, bothering them. And so there was some kind of conference here between the humans, human leaders and non-human leaders from this planet and elsewhere. And, you know, there was some... It, it talks about the conference, so you, you get a flavor for what they were talking about, and there's also some uh, um, mentions of some group trying to sabotage the conference. And it's it's pretty fascinating. I'm still typing it, so I'm still... I mean, I've read it, but I'm still, you know, rereading it now. So it's... It's amazing. When the aliens said that they were uncomfortable with the fact that we were <laughs> we were going to the moon, are they referring to Apollo or did something else take us to the moon? Well, <laughs> good question. Back in the 40s, the Air Force um, had the RAND think tank design a rocket. And I'm sitting here looking at the book that I have that is the design of it, um, a world-circling spaceship. And it was built in the late 40s after World War II. And they used, I mean, they upgraded it over the years, but then they used a model of that to go to the moon, and I don't know where else, but to the moon in the 50s. So we were going to the moon definitely before we were publicly going to the moon. And this is a technology that was probably from the... Operation Paperclip by Werner von Braun and his staff or something else? It could have been because uh, my father-in-law was involved with that. <laughs> he seems right. to be involved. He he was involved with a lot of stuff. So he was involved with Paperclip and he knew all those people. And, and kind of going back a little bit too, it's like my father, my father-in-law's father, okay, both of Mark's grandfathers knew Nikola Tesla and worked with him on various projects. And... My um, his Richards grandfather worked on the Manhattan Project with the bomb and all that, and worked on the Philadelphia experiment. And Mark's dad would test some of Tesla's, you know, his um, inventions and things. I know he tested his death ray and other things. And he would spend summers with Tesla and Goddard and Hubble, and so he knew all these people. And then they asked Rand to build this rocket. You know, so I'm not sure where the technology originally came from, but... So according to Mark, we've been going to the moon before 1969. Right. So what was Apollo then? Well, Apollo was real. Um, I have quotes from him that, you know, he he knows and he swears that we did go to the moon. Yes, probably some of the photos of us walking around there, the ones that are public. You know, I know a lot of people think they were faked and therefore we never went to the moon. Some of those, he, you know, has now said, yeah, they were filmed, you know, maybe in the desert like people thought they were, but we, that was just to cover up the fact that there were things on the moon or beings on the moon that the public couldn't see that's like, you know, we land there and, oh, there's, uh, you know, there's spaceships sitting on the sand dune nearby or, you know, there are beings there when our guys get out of the spaceship saying, you are not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen pictures where 
like the top of the photo or the top of the sand dune or whatever it is, the little hill is cropped, just totally cut and you know cut off because there was something the public couldn't see in that picture. And I have other pictures because of his dad's position. Um, he had some pretty sophisticated equipment and could see things on the screen, you know, had filters and things, so could see things that obviously the public wasn't going to see. Um, but I've seen pictures of, you know, the Apollo shots. They're walking on the moon, and there's clearly some kind of being in front of the camera. So something else definitely was up there. Now, <laughs> let's, let's pretend that Neil Armstrong got out, and yeah. he, let's uh, uh, quote-unquote, shook hands with whoever was there, and I was told... We don't want you here. Then how is it that supposedly we went again and again and again? Oh, I don't know that we didn't. And I've met I've met one of the last astronauts that went there. So, you know, maybe they didn't want us there, but we still So were went. we were we pretending on a, a you know, after Apollo 11th, were we pretending to be going to the moon and we're just circulating the earth on orbit, which is what a lot of people say. I know, and I don't. I don't believe we were pretending that we went to the. Um, I don't think that we pretended because there's stuff up there that we left. Right. You know, there's equipment, there's debris, there are mirrors up there that um, university lasers can shoot up to the moon, and they'll hit the mirrors, and it comes back. So there is. I'm still stuff. looking. I'm still looking for that. I'm still looking for that video uh, that, that allows us to see the the laser uh-huh. uh, coming back to us. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it. No. But um, but there's stuff, and then you know part of the problem. Well, I wouldn't say it's a problem, but there are um, other species that have bases on the dark side of the moon, mm-hmm. and they've been there for hundreds of years. And in the 70s, we had a base. We had a base on the moon. There was a a base that had been there for a long time that had been an alien base. So it was kind of in ruins at the Copernicus crater that we were, I don't know if you want to say refurbishing or if we were going to like rebuild it or rebuild one near there. Um, But we were there and let was see. Yeah. 77. Um, And then part of a whole nother incident in an invasion plot, um, the base was destroyed, but we had, and in fact, can't remember which Rockefeller I want to say David, but he supposed there was a Rockefeller who was like in charge of that base, and he supposed publicly had died in the early '60s, but he was actually part of this group that was on the the moon, putting together a base. There's footage, and of course, the debunkers and disinformation agents have already already said that it's a pure hoax, where you see the astronauts allegedly on the moon entering through some doorways. And it looks like ruins. And I sometimes wonder if it's a hoax or if it's true. Well, I believe it's true. And I know my husband has been on the side of when Apollo 12 came back and the men were picked up by the Hornet. His dad was on the Hornet. And Mark was in a a helicopter circling the site so that nobody would attack the capsule and stuff. And I mean, they've they've been involved with they were involved with the program, you know, their whole their whole careers and stuff. And part of the deal is the Apollo was a cover for the other stuff that was going on. Now tell me what the other stuff that was going on. <laughs> uh, that's what I keep hearing that there Apollo was just a cover. 
Yeah, and see, this is the, the you know, people talk about the, the secret space program, and I don't know what's available now, but back from the 50s, in the, the late mid to late 50s, Theodore Taylor and Freeman Dyson, uh, the Taylor is a, a uncle of Mark's, and he worked at a Lawrence Livermore, and they developed an Orion, it was called an Orion-class space battleship. And uh, Dyson's son has actually written a book, and you can see videos about the development and the planning of this, but as publicly, they said, you know, oh, Apollo's being developed, so we're going to scrap this program, but they never scrapped it. And the plan was for, like, a fleet of these space battleships that were the size of, like, a Navy battleship. They would be launched into space with uh, atomic bombs, one of the reasons why we built so many bombs, and then they would stay in space. They would not come back down to Earth, and they would just orbit and do what they did up there for different missions, and they would be propelled by atomic bombs, and if they needed supplies, you know, a smaller um, supply ship would go up, and then there were smaller uh, support vehicles, smaller craft up there, and and I sent you, I don't know if you got the pictures I sent you, but I sent you a picture of one of these. And the rocket? The, huh? The, yes. the Ryan? Okay. Yes, yes. Good. Okay, good. And so there were nine of them in the time period where Mark, when Mark was active, and some of them were uh, funded and built and manned by different countries around the world, and some were um, funded by a couple of large corporations. So the U.S. had a couple of them, and at the time, his dad was general of the fleet, and at least for a couple of missions, Mark was captain of you know one of the ships. So um, we we did have a space fleet, and it, from time to time, it would be like parked over the South Pole, and you know nobody saw it. Of course. Yeah. Can you so. describe the ships? Um, from what I know of the pictures, and I'm not looking at one of the pictures, they're just like a long, looks like a long tube. And, you know, they're not real roomy. They're nothing like a, a Star Trek vessel where it looks like they're huge. And I think... Almost like a submarine? Was, pardon me? Almost like a submarine? Kind of, yeah. It just looked, to me, it looked like a big long tube. And then, you know, the atomic bombs would go out the back. And basically all they could do was go forward the, with the bomb would just push them forward and then for turning um, and the the turning thing got upgraded over the years so but it was really um, I, I don't want to say primitive but you know it wasn't super fancy like you think of when you see the Star Wars and stuff and he would tell me it's nothing like back at least back then it was nothing like Star Wars because when he was on the ship they were still having to use slide rules for right. calculations. Uh, you know, they had a computer, I think, for navigations, but for a lot of things, they had to use slide rules. So they had to just uh, go the rudimentary way sometimes, and it's not Star Trek, Star Wars. But no. how do we... How, no how do we? <laughs> right. How do we deploy How do we deploy these ships? What kind of propulsion system? Were, were, just, were they just deployed through rockets to get into orbit? Well, they would launch them, you know, a lot of times when you thought you were, they were just testing atomic bombs in the Nevada desert, mm -hmm. they could be launching these because they would have to upgrade them over the years. Um, so they would launch them with the bombs. And then I think they've gone through, um, he mentioned something about 
a chemical. So the the turning and different things, and then like in the later years, um, his grand well his grandfather quite a while back had developed an antimatter drive engine, and so like the later models of these um, of the ship that Mark was on, they had. Uh, put some of these antimatter engines on, and they were just like by 1979 it was like one of his missions. They were just testing it, so and and that was probably more of a weapon. But they but they did have an engine, but I think it was still even in 79 they were still you know the propulsion was the the bomb. They would well, just it, you know launch an egg. If if uh, that's the type of aircraft we were using back then, uh, of course we didn't know about it, but still. It's probably thousands or millions of years, million of years behind what we believe the aliens have. So, oh, what yeah. was the purpose of uh, him being up there, being a captain of one of those ships? Well, the I only know of a few missions, and thank you for mentioning the secrecy oath because that's a big part of it. He he was involved with a lot of things, but the only things he will tell me about are under the international thing. But. Um, Okay, 1977, in September, they had learned of a plot of an alien invasion fleet coming in from, I don't know how far out totally they were from, but they were massing out by Saturn, Mm -hmm. and they were, you know, their plan was to destroy our moon base, which they did, and move on in and attack and invade Earth. So he... um, but he, he also flew an alien craft. So part of that, he was flying his alien craft, and then he got on one of these ships. So the fleet was out there, so they were part of the battle. And I know his dad was in space in the command um, ship for that. And then another one was um, August of 1979. They were supposed to go out to the asteroid Vesta. for There was like a peace conference or some alien conference, and they me- were... Let me interject here for a yeah. second. I don't mean to uh-huh. interrupt you, but no I want to talk about Vesta in a few minutes because okay. uh, we'll, we'll touch it again. But I remember during my show with Sergeant Clifford Stone, uh-huh. he did mention to me that he's been observing that asteroid and it is not natural. Apparently, it's a <laughs> it's a, an observation station, but we'll talk about it Very later. Good. <laughs> Bef- before we jump into this, let's go b- back to 76. Okay. There was a battle to stop invasion plot battle at a Nazi base in Antarctica against right. Nazis and reptilians plus battle over China while right. aliens are coming through dimensional gates. Now, this is loaded. Tell me. Okay. <laughs> well, back in 1976, we had learned of a plot, um, two, a two-part uh, plot. Basically, the Nazis who were at their base in the Antarctic, and a lot of people you know, know that the Nazis had fled Germany you know, when they knew the war was going down, or they were losing the war. So they had established a base in the Antarctic, and they had hooked up with, we call them the bad reptilians, because they're not the same line of reptilians that uh, Mark and his dad have worked with. But the bad reptilians and some greys, they've hooked up with the Nazis to... Together, they put online a, a series of tectonic weapons. Like one had the technology, and the other, you know, group could could physically build it or whatever. And they had planted them in different places. And their their plot was to, you know, have massive earthquakes mm-hmm. and crush physically crush large areas of civilization. And the first one that was supposed to happen, and it did happen, it was in uh, Tangshan, China, in July of 1976. And this is on the online. I saw, and it was 
this is one of those one things. He said, well, go look up this earthquake thing. It's like, okay. And before the earthquake, people the night before had seen lights in the sky, and they'd seen all this stuff going back and forth. And then the next day or early that morning, there was this mass, like 7.6 earthquake. And that was... What is, go ahead. What is up with the... I don't mean to be interrupting, but maybe if, I, if I don't do that, I'll forget. Okay. But what is up with the lights before an earthquake? The same thing happened last year. <laughs> and, and as you probably remember, it was uh, weeks before the the Olympics. And what I've been told, oh. it was because it was a sign to China. They wanted to cash on their foreign reserves, uh, which they have billions and billions. And it was a sign to them saying, hey, look what we can do. So stop it. And the earthquake happened just a few weeks before the Olympics. But there were several witnesses who saw lights before the earthquake happened. So what you're saying now, it rings a bell. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, what I'm saying is, at least in that incident, or that instance in July of 76, there was, and this is where the air battle comes in. So while my dad, not my dad, my father-in-law and his, you know, his part of the military forces went to the Antarctic to deal with that threat so that they wouldn't, you know, set off too many of these tectonic weapons. Um, my husband was in charge of the air battle over China because two huge dimensional gates had opened up and just hordes of alien ships were coming through. And their job was to stop as many of them as they could. So that's the lights the people saw the air battle, except they didn't know what it was. So I don't know if there's an air battle every time there's a huge earthquake. But, I mean, you know, we know that other species have the ability to cause earthquakes. Um, and But in, in this case, you know, he was dealing with the air battle over China with the... Um, the, the the guys coming through the holes and and what was what was sad and interesting at the same time is part of the earthquake besides wanting to destroy stuff is part of the reason why they have these big natural disasters is to hide the fact that um, aliens are scooping up humans and taking them back out to space to sell them for bad things you know so they had sitting there waiting to go back out to space six ships of humans ready to go that they had called and the earthquake is a perfect way to hide that you know all these people are missing because they just would assume they would die in the earthquake somebody mentioned to me and i don't know if this is conspiracy or not but during the tsunami uh, a few years ago a lot of people of course you have to disappear if a a massive tidal wave comes in but uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people just disappeared Exactly. And some people allege that this could be it, that uh, somebody's taking them. I believe so. And and the thing, and same thing with like Katrina. So every time I hear of a huge natural disaster now, it's like, oh, okay, let's let's think about this. Mm-hmm. And um, because, you know, the sad, well, sad or not, the truth, the truth of the matter is there are also different species that are, you know, earthbound and live here and live in the oceans, and they're not happy with our pollution, you know. So, and there's um, not ocean species, but there's, you know, uh, land species that aren't happy with what we've done here. So there's a lot of species that are mad at us and, you know, yummy, let's have a, a tsunami and 
um, you know, we'll get back at you a little bit, or let's have... Why don't they act? If they're not happy with what they see, and I've heard people say that uh, they've been here before we have been, and I had Timothy Good last week who said there are progenitors. Uh So if they have been here before we have, and they have supposedly a more responsible way of treating the planet, why don't they just come out and, and do something? Well, they are, but it's not good. It's, you know, they're, I guess, unfortunately, uh, their, their way of doing things is to get rid of us because we're the problem. And I'm sorry I'm laughing because it's not really funny, but, you know, that's, you know, I guess they, maybe they hoped we would clean up our act, but we're not doing it well enough and we're not doing it fast enough. And, you know, we just keep on being greedy and doing, you know, just we're not improving fast enough. And, you know. But it seems it seems as if, if they were waiting for something. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to put any comparison to the movie War of the Worlds. You may remember how they had the the aliens, if you will, almost like time bombs ready to be activated at a certain point in the future. And mm-hmm. they have been buried for hundreds of years. So I wonder sometimes if they're doing something with our DNA, you know, that's why we have so many abductions, uh, to prepare or to mix their own race to take over the planet without having to fire a shot. And I think I heard you mention this in, in Alfred Weber's, I, or, or was I think it was his interview, I think so too. Yeah, I think it's something like that. But I mean, you, um, there are there are certain species who um, I am learning, like for example, certain reptilians. Uh, the girls will be kidnapped, and their bodies, you know, during the abductions over uh, over a period of time, they their bodies will be prepared to for, you know to like mate with an alien species so that they can. Um, and not necessarily create a hybrid thing, because I really don't know a lot about that plan, but just to, you know, give birth or to carry other species, because a lot of species who have, who maybe who are are from different planets, um, you know, they are either running out of food or there's been so much, I wouldn't say pollution, I think more like radiation or environmental problems on their own planets that they're no longer able mm-hmm. to reproduce themselves. So we're, we're a perfect um, host womb for a lot of species. Which, again, takes me back to the point of if they're doing that, mm-hmm. doesn't that tell you that they're preparing something for the future? You would think. Right? <laughs> so let's go back. Let's go again. Let's, let's not leave the moon okay. yet because the moon fascinates yes. us. Uh, this, this audience just loves to talk about the okay. moon, and uh, I get emails all the time. So what's on the moon right now? I, well, I don't know um, what's on there right now, because if Mark knows, he's not telling me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all I know is, like, it, you know, basically my level of expertise ends at 1982, kind of, except when we do the Middle East stuff. But, um, right. you know, back then there were, there were several bases there were several species that had bases on the dark side. They had moved them to the dark side, and that was a long time ago. But there were... Okay, but Why did they move them? Because, because they didn't we expect were, you know, uh, humankind yeah, to They wanted to evolve. hide from, being, from people being able to see them, you know, either from yes. telescopes or observatories or even us going there. Um, right. But, and it's funny because I just saw the movie Moon, <laughs> 
which it, hmm. which was fascinating. And there were no aliens involved. It's like, oh, darn. You know, I was hoping it would be about aliens, but it wasn't. Well, what I was saying was about the moon and, and them moving to the to the far side of the moon. Oh, yeah, I think it was just so we couldn't see them. And, you know, that we our technology has improved so much over the years that, you know, you can see a lot of stuff just from Earth. So they didn't want to be seen. So basically the aliens said, oh, geez, now we they, they have the capability, those humans, to be able to look at us. Let's move to the far side of the moon. Oh, geez, now they have the capability of coming to the moon. So what's next? Right. And I found, I found uh, one, of, one of my pieces of notes from that moon report I have. And it says, by 1977, humans were operating a large base on the moon with a number of outposts and scientific posts around the surface. Hints of the moon base appeared in Air and Space Magazine, Aviation Week. It had been documented by the RAND Corporation. Um, it had been documented that the RAND Corporation developed nuclear-powered machinery for creating the underground tunnels at the base, as well as on Earth to create a network of underground tunnels and complexes. Our main base was at the Copernicus Crater, was built into the ruins of a massive alien complex, we were not alone on the moon. There had been aliens there in the past, and there was one there in 1977. According to astronaut Neil Armstrong, like you quoted, the aliens had a base on the moon and told us in no uncertain terms, terms to get off and stay off the moon. All of the larger alien moon bases had been moved to the un, uh, dark side centuries ago to keep them hidden from our growing ability to observe space with telescopes. Oh, here's, here's what I wanted to get to. In 1977, there were over 46 known alien bases or stations on the moon that were still operational and dozens more in ruins. And our sudden ability to travel into space had caught them off guard. So, I mean, my feeling is if, if there were that many there in 1977, I can't imagine that they're still not there. Right. You know, why would they leave? And what you said about Neil Armstrong, as we all know, we talk about the astronauts all the right. time. We had Dr. Edgar Mitchell here back in January. I'm trying to get uh, Buzz Aldrin. But uh, Neil Armstrong is the recluse. Mm -hmm. He doesn't talk to anybody. Who did he tell what you just told me? Do you know? I don't know. But you know, there's, and I don't have the website either. There is a website where you can go and find all kinds of good quotes from astronauts who have either seen UFOs or who have seen stuff like this, and this might have come. This might have come from that actual website. Um, and basically, you can kind of Google, you know, astronauts and UFO sightings or quotes from astronauts. Because I've, you know, I, I've done it myself. I just don't know the actual website. So, and and these are kinds. These are the kinds of things where you know some of this is. You know, I've provided it to Mark because he wants to know what other people are saying, and sometimes. The stuff he gives me is because he's seen reports or he's talked to these people. And, you know, he's had access to lots of, you know, pretty high-level reports. But that doesn't mean I know who he got them from because <laughs> he can't tell me. Did Mark ever tell you, well, in the past few days, I've had a, let's call the person a lunar anomaly researcher mm -hmm. who's been sending me a lot of pictures. And even some of her studies say that the moon is not as far and as big as we think it is. Oh, really? Did he ever tell you that? Uh, no, but I've never asked him. And that, and also, I'd be curious to know why we're bombing the moon in October. What is it that we're trying to, to bomb? We're bombing the moon in October? 
Yes, we're sending. Oh. Uh, uh, we're bombing the moon in October. Uh, we've already sent uh, some of the craft to to actually scout the the place where we're going to be landing in 2020. Plus, uh, knowing where exactly we're going to be, I believe it's supposedly to see if there's water on the yeah. south pole of the moon. But uh, some people are saying that because the Indians, the Japanese, and the Chinese are going, maybe we want to bump something that they don't want us them to see. That's a good question. I'll have to ask and see if you can tell me. So, okay, the moon. We suspect that there's something up there. It, it can only mean that it's an observation point for, you know, even to, to us. It could be a great defense mechanism if we could deploy, let's say, nuclear weapons from the moon. Right. So, 1977. Mm-hmm. Battle to stop invasion plot we were you were just mentioning. Human moon base destroyed. Battle in space against alien invasion forces. Right. In September of 77, Mark and his father were involved with the Battle of the Harvest Moon. There was yet another plan to attack the human base on the moon and invade Earth. An invasion force was massing out by Saturn, you mentioned. Right. But what is the Battle of the Harvest Moon? Uh, that is exactly what you just said. There was an invasion fleet that was coming in and from my uh, the the manuscript I have for that whole report is like a thousand pages long but there was uh, reptilians and I believe trogs and trogs are an insect type species and they were coming to invade earth and take over and part of that was to destroy our base on the moon and um, some of the things they were working on at the time on the moon, they were trying to put into place what's called a deep imager space hyper telescope that mm-hmm. they were um, building. And I think they were working on some, uh, I'm looking at my notes here, they were building some heavy duty weapons and things. The telescope was to to enable us to search for inhabited planets in the solar system and track any ships or fleets coming towards Earth, and we would also be able to scan the solar system for hidden alien bases. Oh, and here it is. And target them with Soviet satellite cannons that were in Earth orbit. Or they were building some super guns on the, at the Copernicus crater. And once all this was in place, once the telescope was operational, and once the a tracking station was all finished, um, our military had decided, you know, by, by the time that was all ready, you know, then they could start telling the public that um, this stuff was online. They could be telling them about the, the Orion fleet. They could tell them about the real alien threat. They could tell them about the moon. And they planned to have this all happening by 1982. And 1982 is when my husband was arrested. So, and I, you know, it's like I didn't... Very timely, huh? Pretty timely, because, you know, that's the direction they wanted to go, because they figured, you know, that it was the public should know stuff, and the New World Order people's going, no, no, no. And so a lot of these things, since I've done research for him, and since I've studied his case... And since you sent me more information, it's like, oh, okay, you were arrested in 1982 because you wanted to retire and you know so much. Hmm. Your dad hmm. was fully paralyzed after an operation in 1983. Is that right? Yes. I mean, he'd had several injuries from the military and stuff, but after his last big injury um, and then he was had his operation I mean, he was, you know, operated on for that. They made sure he was paralyzed, and then we figured 
he they finished him off in 1997. So, um, so yeah, there was stuff that was going to come online. There were these things on the moon that um, you know the aliens didn't want there. <laughs> if the aliens have obviously, if they went to the moon eons before we even went there, why would they just tolerate us? You know, humankind. Uh, you know, our race supposedly, we, we, we love war, we love to fight. Why would they even allow it? Some people say that the Van Allen belt is there for a reason, just to keep us here uh, on Earth as a prison planet. Did you ever hear something well, about what that? What I've learned is there's, you know, a couple of ways you can get here. You can either have the technology to travel here, and you can get through the Van Allen belt. It's tricky. You can get through... Um, the Oort cloud and stuff, it's all very tricky. Some of them have the technology to do that because some of them, as I've discovered in these reports that he sent me, you know, they have different species have been out mining the rings of you know, Saturn, Jupiter. Uh, they were doing it in the 70s. That's, you know, so I'm sure they were doing it way before that. And they're probably mining on Earth. And, you know, some of them might be mining the asteroids and stuff. So, you know, they're out in space, and they don't want us horning in on what they're doing. Um, so, But they, some of them can travel through the Van Allen Belt and stuff. It's just, it's just not easy, and it takes a long time. Some of them have the technology to travel through wormholes and these dimensional gates. gates. Not all of them. Uh-huh. You know, so it, you know, it takes some of these races or species a long time to get here. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned the word gates because I've been talking to a few people about them and of course before I used to think that a lot of the stuff was science fiction but I'm learning that uh, you know the Hollywood factor of mixing fiction with reality just makes us believe that it's all science fiction when it's not but I've heard that in uh, uh, Tibet there's a a Stargate there. Right. And that's probably why China has that area completely locked down to the press and the media and, and so right. on. But you mentioned here, big dimensions gates were using Saturn's gravity as a lock. It was determined that the ratings were very similar to the ratings when the China gates were opened the year before. And when you talk about Naga, Naga Draconis being the, uh, let's call him a friend of your father-in-law. My, is that yes, correct? Yes, he is. Or wife. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And he was he was my husband's like number one on several missions. He is a reptilian velociraptor, and their species is from Earth. And their species is from Earth. That particular reptilian species is from Earth. And at some point, where on, where on Earth? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, they were at like sixty five million oh, years ago, and then. Okay, are they still here? Oh, they probably are. Some of them are. Um, they some of them left to go colonize other worlds, other planets, and they thought they'd been gone, you know, not so long. You know, they thought maybe they'd been gone like six or seven hundred years. They were actually gone like millions of years, I think. Um, but I mean, you know, and then the meteor meteor came and destroyed most of their civilization, and a lot of them went underground. But then, you know, they came back and discovered, oh God, look what's here. <laughs> I mean, I mm-hmm. think I think back when you know, if if we if any of us were here when some of their kind were here, um, you know, they just thought of us as little pets, 
and oh, now the hairless apes have taken over and they've polluted the earth, and it used to be this beautiful jungle paradise, and and uh, even though they're very they're technologically advanced, but they came about it slower because they didn't pollute the earth while they were doing it. So their whole way of life is quite different, and and uh, we're, we're creating some more information about that, which is fascinating. They're, they've got this amazing belief system, and then their whole civilization is based on um, food, family, and mating, basically. So a very simple life. Very simple life, you know, and if it's not, if it's not going to meet one of those three ends, you know, what use is it, basically? But they're highly intelligent, and the Naga, Naga, for example, speaks several languages, and he's highly intelligent. He's a great, I mean, he's actually a prince in his line, and he, um, very good military strategist. How did your so husband... He's a warrior. How, how did your me? husband come in contact with Naga? Naga Draconis is the complete name, right? Yes, it is. Um, back in 1952, before Mark was born, um, there's an Air Force base about 15, 20 minutes north of me. Uh, it's closed down now, but there, his dad was stationed there. And in 1952, um, you know, July, August, something like that, the families are hanging out around the pool and stuff, and all of a sudden you've got like a couple of flying saucers coming in, and then there's like six, and then there's eight. And so the alarms are going off, and the men are going down to the flight line. And the women, it's like, you know, the women are just crying, ah! <laughs> and, you know, the command, base commander's wife went, now, girls, remember, we didn't see this or we'll never be talking about this, basically, because, you know, they weren't allowed to talk about it. So these flying saucers came in, and I think right before that, um, there had been, and like an earth, big earthquake in Bakersfield, and some other things that, that these ships had caused. So the men chased after them, and what is fun for me now to know and discuss is that the U.S. Air Force had its own flying saucers that we had built for us by Avro, the company Avro in Canada, and we had three bases on each coast that had three, three, six or nine, you know, a small little squad of these saucers, uh, Whitby Island in Washington, Hamilton Air Force Base here, and uh, North Island down in San Diego, and then on the East Coast, I think it was Norfolk, and one in Florida, I always forget the name of the base, and Montauk. And they would store these things, like, in underground hangars, and, you know, the, the doors or whatever would open up, and, you know, then they'd come up, and they'd have these saucers, and my father-in-law flew one of them. And so they chased after them, and then they, you know, they came back, and not all the saucers came back, but my father-in-law and the guys came back. He and flew. Then, he flew one of me, the saucers. He, he flew one of the saucers. Yes, and then one of the the alien saucers comes back, and apparently Naga and I don't know who was with him, but Naga comes out as an and acting as an ambassador, and he starts you know walking and talking and with my father-in-law and teaching him all kinds of stuff about gates and multidimensional things and stuff that the Greys hadn't quite told us yet. So he met him in 1952, and they worked together in various capacities. I don't know what all they did together over the years. And then, like I said, as my I think my husband first 
um, knew about him in the 60s when they moved to England, and he was the guy that was hiding in the room that Mark felt, but he didn't know what it was. And then later, you know, not too long after that, he actually met him. And, you know, he's he's played with him. He played with him when he was a kid. He goes, yeah, at this one particular castle, you know, that they're at the... You know, there's a new TV show called Merlin at the moment, and I guess it's a miniseries, and they've filmed it at a castle in France. And Mark goes, oh, yeah, Naga and I used to run around there and play. And it's like, (laughs) you're kidding. So, I mean, he's known him for a long time, and then he's worked with him on several missions. So they had become quite good friends. Whatever happened to Naga? Naga left um, Earth... In the 80s, I don't know if it was before Mark was arrested or after, I don't really know, but I think I think it was more like ni- about 1980, and went back to, you know, space, wherever his um, empire or his folks or whatever you want to call it, his people were. Mm-hmm. Did uh, the interactions that Mark and your father-in-law had with extraterrestrial people, well, before I say that, before I forget, uh, Grace... I've had people who say they're totally biological, that they're good. I've had people saying no, they're 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 bio, they're they're drones. They're almost like glorified robots. Uh, did they tell you what they are, what their intentions are, and are do they work for the reptilians? <clears throat> These are good questions. Um, I don't have the answer to whether they're biological or not. Um, what I do know is, like most species, there are several kinds of greys. So they do come in different sizes and looks. You know, some are short and some are taller, like most people talk about. And just like reptilians, there's the military knew about six factions of reptilians, like back in the 70s or 80s. But the greys, um, some of them work with some reptilians, because I know at Dulce, and I don't want to go down that road yet, but uh, some of them were working with reptilians at Dulce, but that wasn't like Naga's line. Naga's line doesn't like the greys, and they will not work with them. Um, So I think the greys have been used as intermediaries for several species because they're sterile, and a lot of species are worried about our germs. Um, So they'll use the greys whatever they are, as intermediaries, that much I know. So if they're Um, sterile, how do they reproduce cloning? Well, I don't know about that kind of sterile, but they're they're sterile as in... Oh, sterile as in clean. Germ-free. Right. Yeah, germ-free. Yes. That kind of sterile. Um, I don't know about their reproductive habits. Okay. (laughs) But... um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of what I know. And it's like, and I don't know if there's good ones or not. I know most of the ones I hear about are not so good. And they'll do a lot of wheeling and dealing, you know, for other species, you know, and, and you know, like maybe do the kidnapping and do, they do a lot of the science stuff. A lot of species will hire them to do experiments on, you know, women, children, whatever, especially the women. And other stuff I've read, you know, they're, they're, most of the stuff I've read, they're not, they're not great. I wouldn't want to be their friend. You know, the analogy I always use right now with the technology that we supposedly have, and I totally believe that we have technology that's way beyond what we could possibly imagine. But, of course, mm-hmm. uh, we are led to believe that we're still in the 70s. At any rate, if we send rovers to Mars... They're the ones doing the the hard work, the dirty work for us, getting soil samples, uh, temperature, mm-hmm. etc. Isn't the same with a more advanced civilization 
to send their drones, their their equivalent of a rovers being the graves to do their dirty work, and that's why they're emotionless and cruel and, and merciless? That's a good question. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't have you know, a firm expert type answer, but you know, that's a good answer. I just, I've just learned that they do act more as intermediaries for a lot of species. So, you know, that's probably all I really know about them. I just know there's, and there's more than one kind or, you know, like I said, they come in different shapes and sizes because I have a drawing of one that had actually down at area 51 had shot at a ship Mark was in and he was like a short little guy big head but short guy you know huge black eyes um but then you see other other pictures or you know other people's drawings of them you know and they're more tall and slender Mm -hmm. and we've got uh drawings or illustrations that came out of fate magazine um of different kinds of species and there's a couple of different look grays in there so you know i just think there's different kinds according to uh you probably know who jim sparks is right Jim Sparks. Jim Sparks. He's a uh, an abductee who has eighty uh-huh. percent recollection of what happened to him, and oh, he, wow. he says that the small ones are the robots, and the tall mm-hmm. ones are biological, and the small okay. ones do their dirty work for the tall ones. That's okay. according to him. But anyway, the, let me read this from some of the material that you sent me. I'm always okay. interested to know how much we really know about abductions. The military took the abduction threats seriously. By 1977, the United States Air Force elite intelligence units, the NSA, and IS, meaning international security, knew exactly what aliens were doing to human captives and which aliens were involved with such crimes. What we only had hands about was how involved the human New World Order was with helping the aliens in their abduction programs. Are you stating that the New World Order really knows what's happening with the abductions and they let it happen because they have agreements behind the scenes? Uh, Yes, (laughs) that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, I have learned that, well, like in in the report we have about the Harvest Moon report, it goes into a lot of detail, like China, for example, because that's where the one battle took place. It goes into a lot of details about the deals that the Chinese government had made with different alien species and the quotas they were supposed to meet, the quotas they had agreed to every year. And I think it was about the time when Mao was going to die or he did die. And, you know, well, they were worried about the new guy coming in and, you know, was he going to keep the same treaties or keep the same quotas? And you look at different countries around the world, especially who have more advanced technology and stuff, and, you know, it's like you got to wonder what kind of deals they're making. And, like, just, again, with Dulce, I mean, our government knew that that was there. We allowed that base to be there. We allowed them to kidnap people and take them there. And some of our own government people were going there and having orgies and, you know, torturing the victims and stuff. So we we do have a lot of... Uh, government people who um, know about this stuff and let it happen. Because they are getting something in return, obviously. We're getting technology, and uh, we're believing that maybe they won't totally wipe us out if we let them do this, I guess. The Nazis believed that if they helped that line of reptilians, you know, because the reptilians wanted to take over, and then the Nazis believed 
you know, they could kind of be the overseers. So maybe the reptilians would be in charge and they would, you know, take over Earth again, but the Nazis would kind of be the overseers because now, you know, the humans would be the slave race and somebody's got to keep them in control. So You know, I keep hearing about the poles, North, South, Antarctica, and so on, and uh-huh. I really want to research as to what really is there. And I remember a few years ago, a professor, I forgot who the, his name, but a professor was going to, uh, I believe it was the North Pole, and his ship was actually turned back by the right. United States Air Force. Oh. Why would a person going there be sent back international waters by the U.S. military unless there's something that they don't want us to see? Well, I that would make sense. I mean, I don't really have any knowledge about the North Pole, Um I, I know that there's been this base at the South Pole. I know, um, well, I guess it was shortly after the war, because Operation High Jump, my father-in-law was involved with, with Admiral Byrd. Mm-hmm. And, oh. you know, I have a report. Yeah, he was. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I said, I said, everywhere. <laughs> I said, hmm, because Dr. Michael Sala speaks about this and mentions Admiral Byrd. Uh-huh. Yeah, and a, and a lot of people keep going about Admiral Byrd saying he had gone to the North Pole and you know was talking about the Hollow Earth stuff. And I don't, yes. I don't really, I I don't even go there because I don't have any information about that. Right. But except for you know in something, I guess in, in one of the most recent things Mark's been sending me information on, um, he his feeling was that the Hollow Earth kind of legends could have been an outgrowth from this massive underground tunnel system that's been developed, you know, probably all over the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I don't really, I don't know much about the hollow earth stuff, but, um, but I know a lot of people mention Admiral Byrd with all that, but I do know my father-in-law was on the operation high jump mission with Admiral Byrd. For what I've been able to gather from you, it seems that Mark spent a long time above earth. Did he ever tell you, What's transpiring below? Well, uh, that um, he's he's talked some about the different the tunnel system. He um, they describe the the Antarctic base quite a bit in mm-hmm. that one report. He was involved with one incident at Dulce, and but I mean he you know wasn't there long enough to take a tour and really check it out. You know, he just knew what he knew from the reports the government had from what was there and what other people had said was there and what he could see in the hour that he was there and the information they had gotten from our remote viewer. Oh, um, he's talked so, about, so he did talk to you yeah, about remote viewing. Um, well, it's in this, the report. The re, he's, he's starting to talk a little bit more, but he hasn't said a whole lot about remote viewing. But the report I have about Dulce is a report that was sent to the Joint Chiefs of Staff back in late 2001, and he was one of the people who was asked to edit it before it went to the Joint Chiefs. So Let's um, hold, let, let's hold the Dulce, because I want to talk about this on a part, yeah, part yeah. two of, of our show. And, and everybody who okay. knows this show knows that I'm fascinated with what happened at Dulce. Oh, so that said, uh, uh, Joanne, tell us your website, how to get in touch with your work before we take the break. Okay. It's www.e, D as in dog, H as in Harry, uh, uh, CA for California, dot org for Earth Defense Headquarters. And my email is ecochicks, E-C-O-C-H-I-C-K-S, 
at edh. That's a, a catchy uh, email address. And uh, what does the, what does the uh, organization do? Well, it's an educational nonprofit, so we do research on environment, sustainability, transportation, military history, political history. A lot of it is um, the little-known history is what we like to get out there. So that's a lot of what we've been sharing and it's not just the UFO stuff, although that's become, you know, obviously my most public thing. But we do other research about um, magic arts and creative arts and paranormal and cryptozoology and all kinds of cool stuff. And I have a lot of reports that's available. And, um, and I'm working on a, a documentary about some military stuff that went on here. So it's just, it's growing, and I've done some talks, and I've done some radio interviews, like I said, and like I said, I have um, several reports, they're all on my website, and I, I love to hear from Fascinating people, stuff, so. and uh, we are now going to take yeah. a break, and on the way back, we're going to be talking about Dulce, and a lot of more stuff that Joanne's going to tell us about the Wonderful. secret space program that fascinates us all. So stay with us, this is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Edward Griffin, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.